may be seated. Romans 5, and in the words of the great philosopher known as Barbara Pyle, sit down, Jonathan. All right, the men's trio is going to sing one more song. I love the correlation, and that's what we're trying to build on this morning, is the sacrifice of soldiers is representative of a sacrifice far greater and that's the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And we're thankful for the temporary freedom of afforded us through the sacrifice of our military. But eternal freedom is not through citizenship of any particular country. It's through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so this song is titled, Thank You for Saving Me.
We are grateful for salvation and praise the Lord for that. This time I'm going to ask Andrea to come and join me on the platform uh, for just a moment. And I promised them that I would not embarrass them. And uh, forgive me if I get a title or something wrong, but we sure do appreciate the, the cadets that are a part of, of Brother Mike's ROTC program. And it's obvious by watching them. I've had occasion uh, to see them uh, execute what they did and present the colors on a, f- on a few different occasions. And whoever's doing it, you can tell that they take it very seriously. And I am thankful for that. And uh, they, they came over here uh, to volunteer and just to be a part of the service. I asked Brother Mike if it was possible for some of them to come. And they agreed to do so. Um, they're going to be blessed with some Red Robin after the service. And uh, I'm interested to know how many fries, how many times they have to refill their fries. And they're going to be, they get to eat dessert. They get whatever they want. Uh, But we have something else that we wanted to give to them and show their appreciation. So the three of you that are still here, if you would please come up here and join me on the platform just quickly. I'm not going to make you say anything. I just want to, I just want to have an opportunity for our church to express their gratitude so I believe it's uh, Sierra Ambler that had to, she had to go to work. And so we have Cadet Jinx, am I saying that right? Yes. Okay, yeah, and I'll explain what's in that. And then the, the sibling cadets, this is Cadet Gill and Cadet Gill. All right, so this is a Bible with a note from our church in it. But then inside it, there's also something of some monetary value that you'll want to find at some point, okay? And so... <laughs> Don't treat this like you do your school books and be like, eh, actually look through it first. I really do appreciate them, and uh, I'm serious. I, I hope you understand we, we love our nation here, and for those who take honoring our nation seriously, we appreciate you very much. And so God bless you on your journey. Let's show them a good round of applause. You may be seated. Thank you very much. All right, make sure to greet them after the service. We're not going to linger long. I need to be conscious of their time. Um, they'll, they'll be out in the foyer for just a moment, but then um, they need to be fed. <laughs> and so if you're like, where did pastor go? Well, I'm feeding the cadets, hallelujah. And so, again, we sure are thankful for you being here. All right, let's all stand one more time to honor God's word as we read it in Luke, or excuse me, Luke, that's tonight, Romans. Romans chapter 5. If I seem distracted, I'm sorry. I just, I'm just watching this stand wobble. And now you're watching it wobble. It's like a bobblehead stand or something like that. So Romans chapter 5, if you would please look, at, look with me at verse number 6. The, the title is this, and, and I don't mean this in any derogatory way or any irreverent way, the, the greatest veteran, the greatest veteran. You think of a veteran as someone who serves on behalf of others, someone who's willing to give up parts of their freedom and comfort, or in many cases, to actually lay down their life. Well, there is someone who has done that better than everyone else, and his name 
is Jesus Christ. So in Romans 5, verse number 7, for scarcely, excuse me, verse number 6, for when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Father, would you please bless these few minutes that we have in your word. I pray that the truth would resonate with those who are saved and with those who are not. Lord, that they would be thoughtful and deliberate in considering the truth of your word and that you would be deliberate in communicating and working in their hearts that truth. Thank you for them. God, thank you for your mercy and the chance to honor veterans today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thanks so much for standing. Brother Vi, thank you for being Johnny on the spot. Sure do appreciate that very much. Someone you no doubt have heard of before, Nathan Hale. He was hung by British forces on September the 22nd in 1776 for acting as a spy for the Revolutionary Armies. Before he died, the 21-year-old is reported to have proclaimed something along these lines. I am so satisfied with the cause in which I have engaged that my only regret is that I have not more lives than one to offer in its service. And others have quoted him as saying, I only regret that I, have, uh, I don't have more than one life to give for my country. But I want you to notice that part where he says, I'm satisfied with the cause. This cause is worth my sacrifice. That's what motivated him. That's what drove him. The cause was worth his dying. The cause was worth the risk. The cause was worth giving up the comforts of a career in teaching as he was already prepared for. The, the cause was worth him taking the risk of going behind enemy lines in parts of New York at the time. And the cause was worth his composure as one British officer wrote about leading up to the moments when he was finally executed. And he stood there without regret. He stood there without hesitation. And he stood there without remorse. And what drove him, what motivated him to have such composure in the face of death, and what motivated him to happily lay down his life was this. He esteemed the cause to be worth it. The cause of our nation's freedom is worth my sacrifice. A name you might not be familiar with, a man by the name of John Bassalone, and I'm not sure that I'm pronouncing his name correctly, so forgive me for that, but John Bassalone was an American gunnery sergeant in, who fought during World War II, and he was the only Marine to receive both the Medal of Honor and the Navy Cross during World War II. At the Battle of Guadalcanal, Sergeant Bassalone successfully defended a narrow pass with his gun team. Afterwards, he was offered a safer base training position, but Bassalone turned it down in favor of going back into action. And it was at Iwo Jima that he gave his life for our country. I read about men 
like Nathan Hale, and then I read about men like John Bassalone, who, who not only were willing to sacrifice, but they were willing to face death and even embrace the consequence of their actions because they were motivated by this cause. They were motivated by the cause that a, this nation should be free and shouldn't be ruled by an oppressive government that's separated by oceans, but, but we should be free to worship God and to raise our communities and to build our nation before him as we see fit. That cause is worth my sacrifice. And I think about men like John Bassalone, who after they fought and after they had, in, many would say this, after they had paid their dues, after they had done their part, after they had done it to a degree that they were awarded two of the most prestigious military combat awards that can be given during the same mission, that after they received all that and they were given a Given an easier task, given an easier road, what would motivate John Bassalone to say, no, I'm not going to take the easy way. I'm going to get back into the fight. I'm going to go back into the fire. I'm going to be with my boys, and we're going to take on this enemy. And as long as there is a battle to be fought, as long as there is a war to be waged, as long as there is an enemy that needs to be defeated and freedom that needs to be defended, I will not hesitate to put my life on the line and ultimately give it. What? drives that kind of commitment? Well, it's the belief in a cause. The cause is worth it. It's worth it because you, you understand, and I'm not saying that every single member of our military believes this or is even necessarily motivated by it, but many would give testimony to the fact that they indeed are, and we should recognize that regardless of what motivates them, we benefit in this way, that the cause of freedom in the United States and the cause of freedom that where nations have benefited from our nation, that cause is worth defending, that cause is worth fighting for, and in many cases, sadly but necessarily, that cause is worth dying for because it's a it's a worthwhile cause and and before you just pass over that and start thinking about whatever's next on your day somebody had to deal with that fact before they died so that you and I could sit here today if you've ever been to a military cemetery you've ever been to the tomb of the unknown soldier, you've ever been to Arlington, or you find one of these military cemeteries that are located at different spots in our nation, you ought to take a moment just to look at the hundreds of thousands of markers of human beings who laid down their life so that we could have this. Whether you were born here or you came here, we benefit from that kind of sacrifice. And they esteemed the cause of freedom, even today, to be worth that fight. And because it's worth it, you're willing to pay the ultimate sacrifice. But in our text, we see a different motivation. Again, I've tried to make this clear that the two examples of Nathan Hale and John Bassalone and countless others they were motivated to make these sacrifices and to lay down their lives because the cause, they esteemed the cause to be worth it, the cause of freedom for their families and for their communities and for this nation and the resistance of evil and the defeat of terrible uh, enemies who would do harm to the world and to our nation. They esteemed that cause worth the sacrifice. But in Romans 5, Jesus was motivated to lay down his life 
But his motivation was so much different. Look at verse number six with me. For when we were yet without strength, in Romans 5, verse 6, when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. In these two verses, we, three, we see three types of people that are described. The first type that I want to point out to you were in verse number 7. It's the self-described righteous. The text says in verse 7, for scarcely for a righteous man. We're not talking about someone who has been saved. We're talking about someone like a religious leader, like the Pharisees, who would esteem themselves to be righteous. They are right in their eyes, and they consider themselves to always have the moral high ground, and they are superior ethically and spiritually to everyone else. They consider themselves to be righteous. Then you have those who are, actually have some goodness about them. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man. This isn't someone who's concerned. This isn't a man or a woman who's concerned with everyone thinking they're good. It's someone who actually tries to live their life to do good. And whether that be through their job, whether it be through some, mili- through some volunteer a- um, effort, whether it be through just being a good neighbor or through supporting your school, however it is and whatever it looks like, they make an effort with some consistency to do good. And they're, they're, they're not like the righteous in that they're concerned that everybody know that I'm righteous and I'm elevated, but they are, they're actually trying to do good. And so Paul makes this astonishing statement about these two, that when you're talking about someone who is, they perceive themselves to be righteous, you're not going to find anybody that wants to lay down their life for them. Okay, stay awake for just a second. The Pharisees, everybody's not as good as us. You exist to enrich our ministry position. That's, what that, that's how they acted. They didn't actually help people. They used their ministry position to oppress people and to take advantage of them. That's why Jesus dealt so severely with them. Okay, we need somebody that's willing to die for the righteous. You gonna, Dave? Nope. If they're so righteous, let them handle it. But then you have people who do some good. You have people who are willing to invest in their community and people who, uh, like different individuals of the Bible, uh, like Dorcas, who was known for her good works, or like other women who ministered to the poor in the different ways and with the different abilities that they had. You have these individuals who they actually try to do good in their community, and the text, and the text says, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, and yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. So you have, you have over here these self-proclaimed righteous. Nobody's going to offer themselves for that, for that person. And then you have, some, you, you have these people who try to do some good with their life. And there would actually be some who would step up and say, you know what, I'm going to defend their life. And I'm willing to lay down my life for them because of the good that their life has produced. So there's a contrast that's being portrayed here. He's building towards something. 
You have the self-proclaimed righteous, and then you have those who try to do good. And you'd say, yep, there would be, not many, but there would be some who would say, you know what, I would gladly lay down my life for that person because of the good that has been produced in their life. And while I wish it could be done a different way, I'm happy to stand up for them, to defend them, and if necessary, even to die for them because of the good that they do. Now, here's what we tend to think. Pause for just a moment. Here's what we tend to think. If I'm in one of those categories... I'm in the good category. Okay, nobody wants to admit to I'm a religious hypocrite that just thinks ill of everybody and I use my position to oppress and to take advantage of. We're like, yeah, we're not a pastor like you. (laughs) No, we like to think of ourselves, yep, I would be in the good category. But that's not actually the category that we're in. Jesus is just, The text is making the point that for someone who esteems themselves righteous, they're they're not, no one's going to be motivated. For someone who actually tries to do good, there would be some who would lay themselves down. But there's a third category. It's described first in verse number six, for when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. And then in verse number eight, it adds further clarification, but God commended his love toward us in that while we, excuse me, were yet sinners. You're not going to find anybody to die for the self-proclaimed righteous. Just get one person to do that, that would be hard. But then someone who does good, that you might find a few people, it's still going to be very challenging. But then if you can just if you can just imagine, over here on this side of the platform, you have someone standing in some kind of religious garb, whether it's a suit or some other kind of formal religious robe. And then here you have someone, just an average Joe or an average Jane who just lives their life to do good. But then over here, while you'll have some people that would die for that person, and then you have probably nobody's going to want to die for the religious hypocrite. Over here, you have someone who's in shackles and an orange jumpsuit because of the guilt of their crimes. And here's the truth that none of us want to admit. That's the category that we're in. Spiritually, before God, I have no righteousness. I can dress this up all day. It doesn't change what God sees in my heart. I can do good, but all my goodness, when it's evaluated next to my sin, my sin always ends up being more. I end up finding myself in this category, shackled and imprisoned and enslaved by my own sin before God. Because I am ungodly. I am separated from God by my sin. You say, well, I I haven't really ever done anything that bad. And, And the mistake that we make when we assess the situation that way is this. We're comparing ourselves to the worst crimes that we can think of. But Jesus didn't just die for the big sins. He died for all sins. And all sin is necessary for his, it was necessary for his blood to be shed so that there might be forgiveness. And so it's not about how I compare to you or you compare to me or you compare to someone else. When we compare ourselves to the standard that is Jesus Christ, 
we are without strength. That, it, that's the way it's described at first in verse number six. When we were yet without strength, and then the ungodly. We're, th- we're without strength, meaning we don't have the ability to save ourselves. We make the mistake of trying to come over here and say, I'm going to be righteous, and I'm going to prove I'm better than everyone else. Or we make the mistake of saying, hey, I'll do enough good that God will accept me. But the truth is, we can't do enough good. We can't be enough righteous, and we can't accomplish enough work for God to say, your sin is forgiven and your debt is paid for. That's why the text uses the statement, when we were yet without strength. Here's the thought. We are completely helpless to remove our sin before God. Man, I'm thankful for this church. I love this church. And I believe people that are serious about God ought to be in this church or another church where the word of God is being preached and people are being loved. I'm all about that. But there is no church that you can go to that will take away your sin. There is no baptism that you can have, whether you're immersed or someone throws water on you, that that will take away your sin. There is no kind of religious ritual that you can perform that will take away your sin. There's no kind of preacher or priest or prophet, or spiritual leader that has the ability to take away your sin when they can't even take away their own sin. It's it's necessary that someone better than you act on your behalf. That's why it's so amazing that it says in verse 6 that when we were yet without strength, In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Then it creates this comparison. Scarcely for a righteous man would one die, yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die, but God commendeth. The word commends mean, it means to show, to demonstrate, to prove, to put out on a display. You've heard me use this illustration. My beautiful wife that stood up here with me on the platform, she tells me that she loves me every day, but I don't need her to tell me that she loves me every day to know that she loves me because her actions prove it over and over and over again. She is commending her love towards me in the way that she is my friend, in the way that she ministers to me, in the way that she encourages me, in the way that she supports me, in the way she guides our home, in the way she teaches our children, in the way she ministers to others. There are tangible actions over and over again that demonstrate, that prove Andrea Pyle loves this dude, Jonathan. And in the same way, to a much greater degree, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ proves that God loves us. But I love it that it's written in the present tense. Please get this. You know why? Because it's constantly proving. And that death at one time is always effective. His death one time on the cross is effective for all times. It's not necessary that you get saved over and over again. You say, well, what if I do something bad? Do you cease to become someone's child because you don't pick up your room or you don't uh, obey all the rules? No, you're corrected, but you're still their child. And in the same way, God says that my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Once you're saved, it is impossible for you to lose that relationship with God. You could never come to church again. You could turn your back on so many things you know are right, but if you've trusted in Jesus Christ for your salvation, you are a child of God. 100%. 
You're not saved because of what you do. And if that statement bothers some of you, you need to ask yourself if you think you're saved because you're sitting in this church. Because your salvation has nothing to do with what you can perform. Well, salvation should produce something different. Right, it should produce something different. And God will deal with those things. But you're not saved because of what you do. And you don't maintain that salvation because of what you do. You are saved because he gave it and he maintains it on your behalf. So, so here's where we get to the point. I'm, I'm almost done. Stay with me, please. Here's the point. Nathan Hale, I want to say his name properly, John Bassalone. Please, Nathan Hale, John Bassalone, they gave their lives because the cause was worthy. I was a broken cause. I'm a broken cause. I don't, I hope you don't misunderstand this statement. Jesus did not die for me because of my great worth. He died for me because of his great love. You say, man, that doesn't really make me feel good. It should. No, please, please hear this. There are causes that are worth dying for. But Jesus' love motivated him to die for a, for, a, for a world's lifetime's worth of humanity. Not because they were worth it. Because honestly, we are broken. But because he loves us so much. Jesus died for me, not because of my great worth but because of the greatness of his love. So there's three application points. Number one, you're loved. <laughs> Look, I know if you're like me right now, you're like, man, it's hot and I'm tired and I'm ready for this to be over. Okay, I'm not that way about all of this stuff, <laughs> except looking at some of your faces. I'm like, yeah, I need to get this wrapped up pretty quick. <laughs> you need to remember you are loved. Oh, there is a God in heaven who whether or not you agree with him, whether or not you've given him any thought, whether or not you've ever considered the ramification of his existence, he knows you by name and he loves you. And, and, and he doesn't love you for what he can get out of you. He loves you because of who he is and he has chosen to place his affection on you. And although broken, you were a cause to him worth putting his and placing his love upon and he loves you. And here's the deal. So much love today, it, it, it's called love. It's not really biblically love, but so much love is based on performance. Well, I'll love you if you do this for me. And I'll love you if you give this to me. And I'll love you and I'll show you affection if you perform these certain things. But the love of God is not performance-based. You know whose performance the love of God depends on? It's his own. And that performance was fulfilled and completed when he died on the cross and he rose again. Jesus doesn't love you because of what you can do or bring to the table. He doesn't love you because you haven't done certain things and he's not going to love you because you perform a bunch of things. He loves you because you are. 
No, I believe this with all of my heart. I say it to people that God's favorite resource is people. What God likes most about this universe and what God loves most and cares most. And he cares, he cares about all of it. He cares about the animals. He cares about the ocean. He cares about the atmosphere. But what he cares about most and what he died for is people. And so what he loves the most are people. And if you are a person, then you are loved simply because you are you. And he loves you. I understand that as times get challenging and difficult. There can be despondency during 2020 and into 21. In other nations and in our own, the suicide rate has increased. I understand that there are, there are young people that struggle over and over again with self-worth and realizing that they have value. And there are people that experience difficulties and adversities. And there are people that go through failure and sometimes think, well, it's just easier if I just end my life. And there's all kinds of doubts about our worth. Can I tell you why you're valuable, it's this. It has nothing to do with what you've done or haven't done. You are valuable because Jesus deemed it worth his life to save you. You're loved. I know we've heard it a thousand, hundreds of thousands of times if you're familiar with a church like this, but we don't need to get bored with that. The creator God loves you. Enough that he came to this earth to die for you. Number two, the sacrifice being made is not a guarantee of its being benefited from. The sacrifice being made isn't a guarantee of its being benefited from. People have wasted the opportunity of being Americans. Uh, stay with me. People have wasted the opportunity of living in this great nation. You spend your life complaining about things that aren't fair or aren't right, and maybe in some cases they aren't. But even in spite of adversity, we still live in a, nation that, in a nation that provides incredible opportunity. And I think about the men and women who have sacrificed so that I could have freedom. And I, I even teach this to my children. There are people that have died so that you could have the kind of education you enjoy, so that you could have the opportunities that you enjoy. And when you can go out and do something fun, and when you can be a part of a team, or you can be a part of an event, or you can have these opportunities, there are, there are lives that have been sacrificed and are being sacrificed so that you can enjoy freedom. You better not waste it. Man, young people, young men and young women, don't waste the opportunity that's been afforded to you by living in this country. That doesn't mean you have to agree with everything or like everything, but there are children growing up in huts, growing up without running water, growing up illiterate without education through no fault of their own. And you've been afforded a great privilege to live in this country. And this ought to be taught in schools way more than it is. Our nation is filled with great opportunities for people who will take advantage of it. Don't waste it. Don't waste your life. Don't waste the opportunity you have to be educated. Don't waste the opportunity you have to be a part of different things. Someone is out there sacrificing their life so that you could have this freedom. To the men and women here, don't waste what it means to be an American. I mean, I think about some who've come from other countries, and when they talk to me privately and they contrast how much different it is where they were born and how much better it is here, my heart is grieved that so many people waste what we have here. You've been given the opportunity. Don't waste it. But you know what's greater than that? It's the opportunity to know God. Jesus died for everyone. 
that doesn't mean everyone's going to be saved because everyone's not going to accept him. Jesus doesn't pound us. You know what he does? He offers it to us. And you know what you can do to an invitation? You can reject it. You can reject the invitation. The sacrifice being made is not a guarantee of it being enjoyed or benefited from. I'll say this, maybe you are saved, but don't waste the salvation that God's given to your life. You know, all the stuff I just said to the teens about their physical freedom and opportunity, that applies to all of us who are children of God. Don't waste the salvation that you have in Jesus Christ. No, it's not an issue of whether or not you'll lose it. You can't lose it because it doesn't, it, it doesn't depend on you, but you ought to benefit from it. It ought to affect the way you live your life. And so don't waste it in your relationships. Don't waste it in your service. Don't waste it in being a part of something bigger than yourself. Don't waste it and be involved in a church like this and and give yourself to causes that will extend beyond your lifetime. And number three, be humble. If you're saved, there is no room for pride in your heart. Jesus didn't die for you because you're awesome. Jesus died for you because he's awesome. You know why we have so much conflict with each other sometimes? Because we overestimate our awesomeness instead of properly estimating his greatness. When I'm not consumed with my awesomeness, you know what I can do? I can forgive. When I'm not consumed with my awesomeness, you know what I can do? I can admit, or I should be able to admit when I'm wrong. When I'm not consumed with my awesomeness, I don't have to have everything be exactly the way that I want it. When I'm consumed with his awesomeness, I just want to be a part of his program. And whatever I can do to help people know him and his love, I want to be invested in that. This isn't meant to make us feel low. Jesus didn't die for me because of something I can do. He died for me because he's amazing. I'm, I'm done just, I love this about my kids as they're, as they're growing up. You know, you're always trying to find the balance of developing self-confidence with humility. <laughs> and, and so there's a ditch. They can get into the ditch of having no confidence. And then they can get into the ditch of overestimation. And, you know, I'll, I'll say things like this. When our children have benefited from something... Hey, why did you get to enjoy that benefit? And this has happened before, or at least this has been a part of some conversation. Say something like this, because I'm awesome. <laughs> hey, why did, why did dad and mom buy you that thing? <laughs> Duh. <laughs> why does Andrea Pyle love me? Hello. I'm loved because she's awesome. I am loved because he's the most awesome. You're loved. This morning, is that love affecting the way you live your life like it should? And number two, if you've never experienced that love in your life, you can have him today. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I'm thankful for men and women who sacrifice.
I'm thankful most of all for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that allows me to know God and to have eternal life with him. With every head bowed, every eye closed, please, nobody looking around. I'm not going to embarrass anyone. I just, I want to give you an opportunity, if God has spoken to your heart, that you respond to God. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I wonder if there would be someone that would say, Pastor, I know that I'm saved. I know that I'm a child of God. I know that if I died right now, I would go to heaven. Not because of the church I go to, not because of a religious ritual, but I know that I have put my faith in Jesus Christ. I've admitted that I'm a sinner to him and I've believed in him to save me. I know that. I know that I'm saved. But I also know that there are areas of my life where his love for me is not affecting my life the way that it should. I'm wasting some of the freedom. I'm wasting some of the opportunity. I'm allowing pride to have too much reign and effect in my life. And I am struggling with that. Would you pray with me? I wonder if there would be anyone who, every head bowed, every eye closed, but you raise your hand and say, I know I'm saved, but I've got some struggles in my life and I need his help. Yep, I see him going up. God bless you. God bless you. Yep, all over the place. Yep, God bless you. When we, when we sing in just a moment, would you respond to the Lord, please? Every head bowed and every eye closed. One more question. Do you know for sure that you're saved? Not... I'm not going to call anyone out or embarrass anyone in any way, but if you don't know, but you want to know, you want to be able to answer that question. If there is a God and if he does love me, I want to know that I have a relationship with him and I don't. Would you please pray for me? Just slip your hand up and put it right back down. I won't call anyone. I'll just say, thank you for raising your hand and you can put it down. You say, I'm not sure that I saved. I see it. God bless you. You can put it down. Say someone else. I'm just not sure. But if there is, and he does, then I want. Thank you for being honest. Let's all stand together. Father, help your people to respond to you as we pray, as we sing. Lord, thank you for the sacrifice that makes American freedom possible. Thank you for the greatest sacrifice that makes eternal life possible. Please bless us as we respond to you in Jesus' name. Amen. While Nate sings and Jessica plays, if God has spoken to your heart, you respond to him.